Why does God allow difficulties in our lives? Well, today, Dr. J. Vernon McGee takes us to 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2 for the answer to that question and so many more here on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus as we set off on another great adventure in God's Word. Every time we get on the Bible bus, it's wonderful. So grab your seat, get comfortable, and while you do that, Greg and I have some great letters to share from our fellow passengers on the Bible bus, this time in North America. And we love, we just love hearing from you. So thank you those who write, email, text, post on Facebook. We just love hearing what God's doing in your life. And let's start uh, with Less in Virginia. My wife and I have been travel nurses since 2016. We worked from coast to coast and from the north to the Gulf of Mexico. All this time, Dr. McGee and his amazing studies have been with us through the radio, internet, and his hardback series. I'm retired now, and I really enjoy my quiet time in the morning. Thank you for sharing so many testimonies with the prayer team. I'm proud to be a part of this and look forward to each day of what's happening in our world. Praying for you guys and glad to help with oil changes as often as possible. (laughs) Thank you, Les, and thank you so much for your testimony of being on that world prayer team. And if you don't know what Les is talking about, well, just go to ttb.org forward slash pray and sign up for that daily email. It comes in Monday through Friday, and it will make opening your email that first time only. We can only guarantee the first one when you read through it and pray a life-changing event. After that, it's just boring email. (laughs) You're going to want that first time. And Steve, also... Our app, the the app that has a hundred languages, now has the World Prayer Today email on ah, it. So if you use our app, you just open up the app that day and you pray, and you don't even have to get into your email box. Wow! Yeah, that's cool. That's exciting. Okay. Yeah. Well, this one, Andy writes. He says, I admit, when I started listening to the program, as I do faithfully every day now and even have set up automatic online monthly donations, that I thought the imagery of hopping on the Bible bus was sophomoric. Ouch. And even silly. I ignored the invitation each time you gave it until one day it clicked. I was wrong, and I repent for thinking that way. I have a one-hour commute to work every day, and I use that time to gladly, lovingly, joyfully hop on the Bible bus. I love it. I feel that I'm in seminary again, but with greater understanding. Proverbs 2, verse 20 says, Follow wisdom and stay on the right path. Well, I gladly stand in line and follow the other listeners to get on the Bible bus each morning now. I imagine it in my mind and, well, so happy. (laughs) That is an awesome testimony. Thank you so much. We have time for one more. Here's one more from Herb. I've been listening now for many years, and I'm on my third trip on the Bible bus. Good job, Herb. I work with the U.S. military and travel extensively, so I greatly appreciate the app as I can listen to it anywhere. I've even done my daily study with Dr. McGee while waiting for my flight in the airport in Oman. Wow. Mm. I just want to say what a blessing it is to be able to do this daily and how much you have helped me deepen my knowledge of the Bible and my relationship with Jesus. I've been contributing for some time and plan to continue as long as possible. Wow. And and Steve, isn't it the, the, the picture that these letters paint of we have people all over the world on buses and waiting in airports and it's just it's just so exciting. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing, everybody's got a through the Bible story a, 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 of listening and of being blessed and something that they've learned. We would sure love it if you could share it with us. Yes. Bible bus at TTB dot org is the email. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin? Father, we rejoice in what you're doing in our lives and the lives of so many around the world. We pray you would open your word to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Let's go now to 2 Corinthians 1 as Dr. J. Vernon McGee leads us through the Bible. Now, friends, again, as I come back to this very wonderful book of 2 Corinthians, I feel totally inadequate, and that's not just a pious statement by any means, totally inadequate to lift out these great truths. They thrill my own heart. Now, I want to back up just a little today and begin at verse 10 and hit high points again to tie it all together. As you will recall, Paul has emphasized the word comfort. And we saw that that was more than just a saccharine sentimentality. To comfort means to help, to come to the side of, to encourage and strengthen. It has all of those very wonderful meanings. And it means, actually, the word means call to the side of, and it's used to the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul said that God permits us to suffer so that we'll be able to comfort other people because we'll know God has comforted us. And Paul had had the experience. We believe he was sick nigh unto death, or he could have been in danger of the mob, and we know that he'd had many narrow escapes. And he could say in verse 10, without any air of boasting at all, he could say, he has delivered us. Who delivered us from so great a death? What a wonderful thing that was, that he was delivered. And there's no arrogant and proud boasting here. He's walking softly, but he can say with great assurance, he has delivered me from death. And he can say right at the present, he's delivering me. And then without any boasting, he says we trust that he will yet deliver us. Paul did not know that he would, but he believed that he would. And therefore, on the basis of that, Paul could rejoice, and he could rejoice in the fact that God was permitting him to give out the gospel in that day. Now, he had promised those in Corinth he would come and visit them, but he had not come and visited them. He had failed to do that. And the enemy was saying, well, you can't depend on Brother Paul. He promises something, and then he won't make good. And now Paul is going to answer that. And he has to answer it, because back in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, verse 5, he says, but I will come unto you when I pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. But Paul hadn't come, you see, at that particular time. And as a result, why they were circulating a report that you couldn't depend on the apostle Paul. And he goes on in verse 12 now to say, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we've had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. Now, Paul can say, and when a man can say this, it's a wonderful thing when he can say it, and it's true. Paul says, we have acted in holiness and in sincerity. That's the way a Christian ought to act. And Paul says, we have not acted with fickleness. It may look that way, but actually, we have not. And he goes on to say here, in a very wonderful way, that God is faithful, the one that he serves. Verse 18 
For as God is true, or God is faithful, our word toward you was not yea and nay. Paul didn't say, I will come, and then I won't come, as if he's being fickle. Not that at all. Why? Because God is faithful, and God had led him. He was in the will of God. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. In other words, the gospel that he preached was a glorious, positive gospel, and it was yea. And you have here not only the faithful God, but the sure Lord Jesus. Not only that, now he moves down here. He says, for all the promises of God in him are yea. Everything's positive in Christ and in him, amen. And he's called amen. That's his name in the book of Revelation, under the glory of God by us. Now notice, he says in verse 21, now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who hath sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now you have here not only the faithful God, the true God, and the sure Lord Jesus, but you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I believe very candidly that you have here in this statement at verse 21 and 22, you have here the total ministry of the Holy Spirit today. Now he says here, now, he which establisheth us. Now, how do you become established, if you please? Paul, you know, had written to these Corinthians, and they'd been so fickle, and now he's able to conclude that, and he says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know your labor's not in vain in the Lord. What does it mean to be established? We believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit convicts. He comes into the world. The Lord Jesus said he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he convicts us. And the second thing that he does, if having been convicted, we confess our sin and accept Christ as our Savior, he regenerates us, you see. And he not only regenerates us, he indwells us. And not only does he indwell us, but he baptizes us. And by the way, this expression here is quite interesting in verse 21. Now he which establisheth us with you into Christ and hath anointed us is God. God who? God the Holy Spirit, if you please. And we sing sometimes safe in the arms of Jesus especially at a funeral. Well, the word here is not safe in the arms of Jesus. Well, you're part of his body. You're put into Christ by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you're not safe in the arms. You're safe as an arm of Jesus Christ because the chances are you may be a little finger in the body of Christ. Now, what a wonderful thing this is. And he is speaking here now of the work of the Holy Spirit, and he's using present tense. That's what he's doing for you today, friend. Convicts you, and he regenerates you, and he indwells you, and he baptizes you. Now will you notice, he says here, he hath anointed us as God. Now this is a ministry 
of the Holy Spirit, which is sadly neglected today. And you'll find over in 1 John, it's 1 John 2.20. And if you would turn there, and I hope you will, and read that, you'll find that we have an anointing. And that anointing is the Holy Spirit. And it takes the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth, you see. We now transfer from the realm of reason to reality, from the hypothetical to the experimental, from fiction to fact. We rise from the theoretical, death to actual living. Now, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is at the right hand of God. Now you have here, and I am going to turn and read that after all. In 1 John 2.20, But ye have an unction, that is, an anointing, from the Holy One, and ye know all things. How? By the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, the same chapter. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is true and is no lie. And even as he hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, this is a ministry that we believe is all important, though it is neglected. And he doesn't give you a mail-order degree. And this is not knowledge that comes gift-wrapped in a box. I think a lot of people think that. You have the Holy Spirit to teach you, Christian friend, and he alone can open the Word of God to you. That's the reason this is a miracle book. And all Christians must depend on the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus said to his own, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot receive them not. But when the Spirit of God has come, he's going to lead you into all truth. Now, that's what he wants to do, is to lead you and me into all truth. Now, we have here something else that's mentioned, who hath also sealed us. That is a marvelous ministry of the Spirit. We're told, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Can you grieve him away? No, because he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. And the Holy Spirit's going to deliver you someday. He sealed you, friend. And that's just the same as taking a letter down to the post office. And I've already apologized to the people at the post office, and I sure hope they're going to deliver our mail now and then get our mail to us by the way, but if you want to make sure you register that letter and they put a seal on it and they guarantee they're going to get the letter through when you do that. All legal documents had that. In witness thereof I set my seal is the way it comes down to us from the old English. And it's a marking, a branding, a mark of ownership. And out yonder in the early days in the West, they had no fences. They branded their cattle. The Holy Spirit puts the brand on you that you belong to God. And my friend, as a little sheep of his, you're not going to get lost. Oh, you might, but he'll come find you. The Spirit of God is the one like that woman sweeping the floor, making sure that that wedding ring is going to be found. What a wonderful thing. And then, not only that, but you're given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Actually, it's this. You're given the earnest which is the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Now, an earnest money is money that, you know, you put up, and that means more is to follow. You go and say you want to buy a piece of property, you put up so much. And when you do, that's earnest money, and it means you're going to pay some more. Now, God's given us the Holy Spirit. He says there's more to follow. What a wonderful thing. 
It's almost like buying on installment plan, but it's not a down payment because there may be some defection in the buyer, but there's no defection in this buyer. He purchased us with his blood. Maybe some defection in us. So he put so much down. And when he put so much down, well, that guarantees that the saved soul will be delivered, and it means the saved soul's in escrow today. Now, God has put his Holy Spirit in every believer. He's the earnest. And he's coming to the life of the believer to bring the fullness of God to bear in our experiences. What is it you need today? You know, he's rich in mercy. He's the father of mercies. What do you need, friends? Why don't you go and ask him? You need power? Do you need joy? Do you need wisdom? Do you need help? These are the comforts, because he comforts us. Paul knew it. He'd experienced it. And you're listening to a fellow today that knows it also, because he's experienced it. Now will you listen to him? Verse 23, Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Now, Paul said, if I had come when I said I would come, I would have done what I did in the first epistle. My, that first epistle is filled with correction. And Paul is stern in that epistle, as we'll see in this next chapter. And he says, if I'd come, I'd have been stern with you. But I didn't come. Because I wanted to spare you that. I wanted to see if you wouldn't work this out. Verse 24, not for that we have dominion over your faith. Paul said, I'm not the bishop of your soul. I'm not the one lording it over you. You have freedom in Christ, but we are helpers of your joy. For by faith you stand, he says. You'll have to stand in your own faith, my friend. And Paul says, that we wanted to stay away, that you might be strengthened in your faith and you might grow. And that's one of the reasons, friends, God permits many of us to undergo certain hardships, certain difficulties in our own lives. Will you notice in chapter 2 now, verse 1, he says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. Paul said, If I had come also something else. Oh, I was discouraged with you. And I would have been in sorrow and there'd been tears in my eyes. For if I make you sorry, verse 2, who is he that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? You see, Paul didn't want to come and in his sorrow and with tears in his eyes, he'd have had them weeping. Then who is going to make Paul glad? You see, they were just both of them boo-hooed in the same handkerchief. That wouldn't have been very good, by the way. Now will you notice, he says, And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul said, I want to come in joy. And I wanted to get word from you that you'd corrected these things. Now, had they listened to this? For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. You know, a great many folks sometimes fall out with the preacher when he preaches a message that is rather severe, a message that, I tell you, bears down on the congregation. And they think that, Maybe he ought not to do that. Well, may I say to you, 
He's not a faithful pastor. If he doesn't do that, I'll tell you that, my friend, because we're told to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And any man that's a minister today standing in the pulpit has a tremendous responsibility to rebuke. But a lot of the saints, they don't like that, you know. And Paul says here, I did it not for any reason that I was opposed to you. It was because I loved you. My friend, a faithful pastor shows his love by preaching the Word of God as it is and not by buttering up the congregation. Verse 5, But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. He says, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrariwise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Now, let me remind you of what Paul is speaking. You remember back in the first epistle, Paul rebuked them because they were permitting gross immorality, in fact, incest in the congregation. And they were shutting their eyes to it, and yet they were running around talking about talking in tongues. Paul says, you get this matter straightened out. And you know what happened? They straightened it out. Well, what happened? Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Now he says here, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I wonder today if we are ignorant of his devices. Now in the first letter, will you notice, he told them that they must not tolerate evil. They must put it away. Now in this second epistle, Paul says the man's repented. The man has come and acknowledged his sin. Now you are to forgive him. <laughs> You see, the devil sometimes, you know, gets us to shut our eyes to gross immorality. Wish I had time to tell you about how that is today. I know one preacher that has had woman trouble in three different churches, and every church he went to knew his record, but they took him. Why? Shutting their eyes to gross immorality, and they've hurt the cause of Christ when they did that. Well, wait a minute. Suppose he had repented, really, turned from his sin, which he did not. Then what? should they do? Forgive him. Now, the opposite of that is there are a lot of old stiff back fundamentalists today. They won't forgive anything. My friend, that can be the work of the devil as well as shutting your eyes to immorality is not to forgive the one. And that's where Satan gets advantage of a great many Christians. They're so unforgiving. <laughs> My, I tell you, there are two things you don't hear much today in our conservative churches. You don't hear people asking for forgiveness or saying they're wrong, and you don't hear many people forgiving folk. They have an unforgiving spirit. My, this is important for us to see. Now he says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, what Paul do? He stayed there and preached the gospel, because that was the will of God for him. You see, Paul, instead of being fickle, he was faithful. He was faithful to God. And when he was faithful to God, 
when the door was open in Troas, in the city of Troy, he stayed there and preached the gospel unto them. But may I say to you, he says here, verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence unto Macedonia. Paul says, even when I was preaching the gospel, I was grieved in heart because Titus hadn't come to bring me word concerning you people in the city of Corinth. Now, will you notice from here on, and I don't have time to deal with it, but we are going to see now one of the most wonderful things that has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Word of God today. We'll see that next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Our grand adventure through God's entire Word continues next time. Until then, if you need to reach us, just visit ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE or email biblebus at ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you right back here as the Bible bus rolls along through the whole Word of God. Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.